Hey, folks, after we recorded this episode, some news broke, so stay tuned after the music for an update. Katie, you claim that something exciting just happened to you, and I'm a little bit skeptical, but I want to hear what it is. Okay, you know how you have your pigeon problem? Mm-hmm. Well, I did. Did. I won. Did. I won. You eliminated the threat. Okay, well... If you go to the Wikipedia page, it will tell you I won. <laughs> so uh, I'm having a similar problem of my own, uh, but instead of pigeons, my pest is fucking bears. So I was just... there's I built all these... My, my house in North Carolina is on a bunch of woods. I've built trails all through the woods. Not much of it of them of the trails are actually on my property, but I figure like this is sort of a socialist situation, you know, and plus nobody else uses the woods. So I've just been building trails all over the woods. So I was just down in the woods, throwing the ball for Moose, playing fetch with Moose, and he starts barking, and I was like maybe 100 yards from him, and I, I looked up, and he's barking at a giant fucking bear. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So I went and I ran to him. I, of course, was taking my phone out of my pocket so I could try to videotape this because I would want my I want my last days on Earth to be videotaped. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't get photographic evidence about this. The bear ran away by the time I got there. So I figured like this is a good time to probably – leave the woods. So I did. I walked up the trails back up to my house. And when I get to the top of the trail, at the very beginning of the trail, so in my yard, there is a giant pile of garbage that wasn't there before. And like there's a trash bag and then spilling out of the trash bag is all of this shit that I never have seen before in my life, like empty boxes of frosted flakes and like mac and cheese in the bag, just stuff I would never buy, stuff I've never bought in my life. Uh, Notes with somebody else's handwriting on it. And so I'm very confused. And then I realized that this bear has gone to my neighbor's house, taken my neighbor's garbage, walked some unknown distance down the street, holding this garbage, and he deposited it in my yard and then he went and walked down my trails to this ravine. So I have a, I have an enemy now. I find your language interesting, especially phrases that I hope you'll rethink, like your trails. I built them. Given that I built the trails. This is this is the bear's land that you are presently occupying, for lack of a better it's word. It's actually it's actually neither our land. It's actually my neighbor's land that I'm building trails on. But I built the fucking trails. The bear is colonizing my trails. And more importantly, what am I going to do about this? Is he going to do this every garbage day? I'm assuming it's a it's a he him because he was a menace. Uh, do they make bear spikes? They they work for the Jesus, pigeons, well, right? They make really brutal bear traps. Um, I'm going to ask it. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a bear trap. Uh, oh Jesus Christ! Um, I'm going to don't tell Peter. I'm going to ask a sensitive question, so please don't react negatively, and I'll explain why I'm asking. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What what race was the bear? You're going to make me say it. You're going to make me say it. It's a black bear. Okay. Well, but isn't that... I thought black bears were the chiller ones and brown bears were more dangerous or am I mixing That is up? true. Brown okay. bears are grizzly bears. Brown bears don't live here. But my realtor, the guy who got us this house, when we were... He was showing us the house on FaceTime and he had... Have I not told you this? He turns the camera around on FaceTime and he has literal claw marks on his face because the day before he showed us the house... He had gotten attacked. He had gotten between. He was running. He's like in his 70s. He was running on the trails by his house. 
And he had gotten between a mama and a baby, and he got actually what? attacked by a bear. Yeah, he spent like- He survived the bear attack? Yeah, he spent like 12 hours in the ER, and then the next day showed me this house that I stupidly purchased sight unseen. He was in People Magazine. He's a celebrity now. So he's like, you should, uh, you should live here. It's great. Ignore the claw marks on my face. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, sold. You know those like those realtor ads they have on like bus stops and stuff. I'm just imagining uh-huh. him like all done <laughs> up, but like covered yeah. in blood. <laughs> he, I mean, he literally had slash marks on his face. It was like he had run into Wolverine. I I know you're dealing with enough with this this in, insane bear infestation. Just you're up to your knees mm-hmm. in bears. It's like the Simpsons episode. But I, I need a level of complaint about your whole Asheville situation. What's what's your problem? I know that. Setting up a house takes a lot of work, but this thing where you're like, I need to push recording back for 15 minutes. And I'm like, why? And you're like, a group of men are coming to lick the roof. And I'm like, <laughs> is that a, what she's? And then lick you're the always roof. like, well, obviously, yeah, it's a new house. I need to get people to lick the roof. And I have no idea what's real and what isn't because I have never bought a house and probably never will. So I feel like you're just fucking with me or just like, you don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't know which of these tasks are real and I should respect and which are made up. Like you also claim to have a brother who has kids who you have to look after. I don't know if any of that is real. It's all real. You just don't understand because you're not a family man and you don't own a house. You are a man child. Is it? Well, I'm definitely a man child. Is it just that the, the roof liquors layer of saliva insulates with like the cold weather coming up? It's just a luck thing. I don't know. It's like an actual (laughs) tradition. Oh, they're Irish. (laughs) Yes. They're Irish. No, it was not roof flicker so i postponed to t- today it was fence builders i'm having a fence built to hopefully keep the bear what up. does that mean i don't know what any of those words mean <laughs> they, Katie. okay i'm not a homeowner here's what my fence builder did he goes out into the woods and he fells locust trees and then he drags them out of the woods and then he pieces them together in a way that makes it look like they're from the 19th century and charges a lot of money for it okay and this is so you can fend off attacks from rival appalachian settlements appalachian but yes appalachian okay katie what is the name of this increasingly bear attacked podcast This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single, and today we're going to talk about free speech, particularly on college campuses. It was a very busy week for that subject. We've got a few things to get to first, though. We do. I want to hear about the party. Yes, the party. There was a bar pod party Saturday night in New York. I don't think you can really call it a bar pod party if only the lesser half of bar pod is there. I think it was a single-minded party, and you used my good name to get more people to go. It was uh, actually we called it bar party for short, short and shirt a bar bar uh, blocked and reported party um it was wonderful we had 319 people officially in a two-story bar in uh, midtown manhattan we had a great time i had so much fun meeting people thank you so much to the people who came out some people flew in we had one brit there no yeah people flew in for this what yeah (laughs) wouldn't do that obviously well obviously you wouldn't because you didn't <laughs> i wouldn't have i wouldn't have come if it was down the street from my house i begged you i pleaded yeah it was it was like i don't know it was a little bit surreal it's crazy to me that because it still feels like we started this podcast yesterday that i was able to rent out a bar and fill it with people mostly it's crazy to me that you were rent out that you were able to rent out a car much less a bar yeah exactly i shouldn't be allowed to do either uh it was a wonderful time now a couple people said the music was too loud that was my fault i'll fix that next time i would like this to be let me guess was it was this playlist was this like 90s ska bands there were i think two to three Mighty Mighty Boston songs. I tried <laughs> to like throw a couple bones to like normal people. I asked my brother what to put on. There Taylor was one Swift. Taylor Swift song. The answer song. is Taylor Swift. It was, it was New York by Taylor Swift or whatever it's called. Um, 
I I had such a good time. Our our listeners are so awesome. This was at a place called Slattery's, which treated us really well. At the end of the night, when I was very tired and drunk, I was talking to John Slattery. I'm not going to try to do his accent. He said that there was not a single incident of anyone being a jerk, like to the service staff or anything, and that for a group of our size, that was these are the exact words he used, unheard of. So wow. we have a really good, good crew, work. and a yeah, and there's like not now. A more, I mean, there have always been like a, a Manhattan and a Brooklyn meetup groups, I guess, and they're merging. And when I asked wow. if people wanted to like be notified about future, you know, meetups without me, they meet up on their own. Like eighty people immediately sign up, so the community is growing. Like they just they meet up just to talk about how much they hate. Probably, you. yeah. I mean, I can't. Look, I just I'm having trouble picturing that. Anything that will help the podcast. Uh, so yes, thank you to everybody who came to Slattery's. I'm going to try to make it an annual thing. Uh, and it was great. And yes, when I gave my little talk, my little thank you, I tried to get you on the phone. You didn't pick up because you're a jerk. Yeah. Okay. You called me. I like a normal person. I had my ringer off because it was 1030 at night. But if I had answered the phone, here's what I would have said. I told you never to call this number again. <laughs> and then I would have hung up. I briefly tried to start a We Hate. I mentioned this on the Primo. Uh, bri- I briefly tried to start a We Hate Katie chance. It didn't really take. Yeah, uh, but yes, people were, a lot of people said nice things about you too, as much as it pains me to admit that. So thank you to everyone who came to the party. But we have a show to do, Katie. It's not all parties. We do. Okay, so can we start with corrections? Ooh, wait, us? Corrections? That doesn't sound right. Okay, yeah. go for it. This is uh, this is Katie's correction corner, KKK. <laughs> uh, so, so first off, I have two corrections on this segment about the transgender, anti-ableist, anti-eugenicist protests in Portland. This was over an outdoor anarchist book fair that did not require masks. I assume you'll never forget. It's weird that such a straightforward <laughs> story would require corrections. But. Yeah. So these activists, they allegedly doused the book fair in liquid shit. Unclear where they sourced it, This is if this was Amazon or it was organic. Uh, so that story came to us via the Instagram account, Curse Cancellations. And after I aired it, I got two corrections from Curse Cancellations. One, he says it's pronounced cursed cancellations, not curse cancellations. And two, he says his pronouns are they, them, not he, him. So my apologies to him for mispronouncing and misgendering him. Wait, is the current misgendering intentional? <laughs> no comment. Okay. And two, uh, so the main part of last week's show was about this ongoing saga within the NaNoWriMo fandom. Hard to distill that in a sentence, but after the show was recorded, our main character, Claudia, that's the former moderator of the NaNoWriMo chat for teenagers. Who You keep putting her, you keep spelling her name normally in the notes when she has a much cooler spelling, which is no, C-L-A-W-D-I-A. No. She spells it both ways. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you use the cooler? Anyway, continue. Okay, so she was the former moderator of this NaNoWriMo chat for teenagers. She also happens to be the allegedly transgender legal guardian of a lesbian adult baby diaper lover who has the mental capacity of a young child and several personalities. Or had well, no, the- she had. Yeah, sorry. yes. Go back and listen to the episode. So after no, no, that- it's important. She had she because of trauma, <laughs> she became it- a baby who needed a diaper. Then she grew out of being a baby yes. to having a a. Uh, she had a composite personality consisting of several alters, one of which was Claudia's personality. Mm-hmm. Also, she still needed a diaper, but also she was an ABDL, so the diaper was, was part of a fetish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? If you can't a- remember all that, then you're a bigot, and you she, shouldn't be listening to this podcast. She wasn't wearing a diaper because it was sexy. She was wearing it because she was wetting herself. Okay. 
So after we aired this episode, Claudia got in touch with Trace. He had asked her for comment um, before, but she didn't get back to him before the episode aired. And she said She probably didn't think anyone would actually do a podcast about this. So she had this to say about this diaper site allegedly run by her, Claudia, and her imaginary friend slash word Danny. That's the... Okay, but we we should... This is all so confusing that we actually have to specify that you're not talking about an imaginary friend that Claudia admits to having. You're speculating that Danny is Claudia's imaginary friend. I'm speculating that they're the same person. Right. Which they seem to be. I agree I'm not that. speculating. They are the same person. You think they're the same okay. person. We're journalists, Katie. They're the same person. They're the same person. Leave the speculation okay. to the fifth column. We're investigative journalists, <laughs> and we think Claudia... And Danny, the the alters she looks after are did the same person. As we mentioned last week, one of the reasons that NaNoWriMo users accused Claudia of grooming teenagers into adult baby diaper lover forums is because they found a post from 2015 on a diaper forum where Claudia said, basically, a teenager that I know through NaNoWriMo is writing a sci-fi diaper story, and I'm going to try to get her to post it on the diaper site. So Claudia got back to Trace and said this. The site history is really complicated. Essentially, my cousin came to me <laughs> when a friend of theirs... Is this a cousin who went to a different school? <laughs> in Canada. Started complaining that an adult writing site he was a member of got shut down by its previous host. My cousin wanted to know if I'd be willing to host it. I stupidly agreed on the condition that they would handle everything involving that particular site because I didn't want to be involved when I found out what kind of site. To my knowledge, no teens from the NaNoWriMo forums were ever invited there or had an account... At some point, my dumbass cousin did link to a post in one of the Christian Teens Together threads and asked for people's opinions on it. This cousin, by the way, this is me again, was writing under Claudia's handle. Wait, what? Also, this cousin sounds like the lawyer, like terms like dumbass. I know. Uses the term dumbass. Yeah. I noticed that. The actual post being asked about was also quoted directly in the topic where the question was asked. I don't know what that means. This is that that actually caused a huge falling out between us when I became aware of it. Basically, my cousin just claimed to be me to give themselves more credibility. And so when their wife announced when my and so when their wife announced their death, it was just assumed by many that she was talking about me. And no, until November of this year, I did not have an account on that site. And I regret that because if I had, a lot of things that happened wouldn't have. And it certainly would have prevented some of the BS going on with NaNoWriMo right now. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, okay. So yeah, to su- sum it up. In summary, her cousin regularly posted disturbing material under her name. She was fine with this because yes. there's nothing wrong with letting someone else have access to your online handle, posting other stuff under your name. We all do that. Mm-hmm. I have a J single 67 account. <laughs> Why 67? 69 is taken. The, okay. Because of that confusion, this cousin died. People wrongly thought Claudia died, leading us or leading you to accuse Claudia of sort of maybe faking her own death. Yes. And one thing to note here is that the, the, the person who announced that Claudia had died was Penguin slash mom. I forgot about Penguin slash mom. <laughs> oh, it's such a rich cast. This is going to be a really good Broadway show someday. Claudian just needs to come out and say, look, I am a head system. I have 55 fucking headmaids and they are constantly battling. And then everybody can just accept this as a legitimate psychological condition and not someone who is a fucking menace making stories up. By the way, that was um one of uh, who's our, our friend who worked at Slate, the trans man with oh. assigned media. Uh, Evan, what's his last Urquhart. name? Urquhart. 
he yeah. just posted something by someone who was a system of 80 headmates. I saw this. This was a criticism of an of an academic paper. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. Which, we don't know, but we don't know which of the 80 headmates which, or however many yeah. it was has like a PhD, which just has a master's. So it's hard to evaluate. Anyway, continue. I mean, if I had 80 headmates, I'd probably have dysphoria too. Yeah. Okay. So long story short. And I'm sorry to anyone who's listening to the, for this to this episode for the first time. The cousin don't, did it. Don't lie to them and say long story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one more correction for that segment. I mentioned that Claudia said at one point, that, and this is an actual correction. I mentioned that Claudia said that she had less than 30 days to live. You asked me if this was more than 30 days ago, and I said it was. That was incorrect. It was about two weeks ago. Uh, so hopefully she will spend the next two weeks, you know, checking some items off of her bucket list before she dies. I, I wonder what that would be for an adult baby diaper lover. Like, a really huge shit and some tight-fitting pampers. Oh, God. Geez. Anyway, <laughs> best of luck to her. How, how is she going to die? How does she have, like, 30 days sounds like end-stage cancer it's or It's very specific, yeah. I don't, maybe she lives in Canada. And that's her, her main date. <laughs> Um, I don't know the specifics, but she did tweet at one point that she's in renal failure and on dialysis, and that ne- her nephrologist has refused to treat her since she got banned from NaNoWriMo. <laughs> 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 Jesse, I posted a screenshot in the show notes. Would you like to oh, read this? No. This is from Twitter. Wait. Well, looks like people are going to get their way. I'm officially being forced to end my dialysis treatment since I'm no longer a NaNoWriMo mod. Knew it was coming, still sucks. And clearly, this is Cinnamon Fridge, Claudia Wolf. No one, she gets no engagement. I think people have realized she's no. crazy. I was only being allowed to continue it because of my mod position. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really been effective for a long time now. Truth is, I was supposed to have been removed months ago, but my nephrologist agreed to continue when I argued it would do more harm than good to discontinue. Um, <laughs> uh, so many layers to this. So it's at certain points, Claudia's what appeared to be fabrications were like believable because she had different sock puppet accounts. How dare you say that? (laughs) No, but like... Jesse, believe women. (laughs) um, It just, it gets so brazen. It's like you're getting too confident. You're flying too close to the sun. I'm being forced... Let me just read the sentence one more time because it's a (laughs) sentence that deserves to not be read only once. I'm being forced to end my dialysis treatment since I'm no longer a NaNoWriMo mod. (laughs) What could that possibly mean? You know, just, I, I, I just off the top of your head, come up with any way in which that sentence could be true. Any hypothetical. The hypo- the only hypothetical would be that the this evil nephrologist is like a huge nanorimo. Maybe the evil nephrologist is a participant in Christian Teens Together and just really needed Claudia there to, to moderate. Like that's all I can think of. I mean, I thought that they had banned that specific scenario under the Affordable Care Act, but maybe not. <laughs> you, before Obama. <laughs> Yes. You could get cut off from medical care just for like starting a flame war in an online forum. Yeah, you could. It's, it was really it's bad. really yeah, really fucked up. Um All right, so that's it for Katie's correction corner. <laughs> another great uh KKK segment. Okay, Katie, can I can I uh do that annoying thing where I talk for a couple minutes? Oh god. All right. What is it this time? I, I just okay, this was like important enough that I just want to say they I said offhandedly I like I think I basically Wait, on our last episode? Yeah, free last free one, I think it was. I basically like denied being a Zionist and a couple people were like what and I just want to like basically explain what I meant because I um as soon as I said that I was like I should probably just delete that but I didn't I just I just want to briefly clarify that at this point I don't know exactly what a Zionist means like the first dictionary 
dictionary dictionary definition I got was, quote, a supporter of Zionism, a person who believes in the development and protection of a Jewish nation in what is now Israel, end quote. Even that definition is ambiguous because like developing a nation and protecting it are different things. Just to be clear, I definitely believe Israel exists and has a right to continue existing and has a right to defend itself. I think people who call for it. So you're a Zionist. I don't, but I don't think that's what people mean when they ask. <laughs> Dude, you're fucked either way. What do you mean you're fucked either way? Be, if you say that you're a Zionist, people are going to yell at you for being a Zionist. And if you say that you're not a Zionist, people are going to yell at you for not being a Zionist. Yeah, it's this weird thing where like, yeah, it just has to do with like I, I have um, mixed views on like questions like like some people say Jews need a state because we won't be safe elsewhere. I think if you think that through logically, have they been to Brooklyn? I guess there are some. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but like I genuinely think um, American Jews in 2023 in the United States is as good as we're ever going to have it. Meaning every five to ten years, someone will shoot up a synagogue. I just I'm a real. You know what? I would say 2022 might have been better. In what sense? Oh, you mean because of all the shit going on now? No, but you know what? I'm <laughs> yes. sorry. Even that, let's have some historical perspective. Uh, Jews in the U.S. have not gotten murdered over this, have they? Am I missing a murder over Israel-Palestine? Okay, well, there was one protester, uh, a pro-Israeli protester, who, yes, was murdered, I think unintentionally, but was murdered at a at a protest in California. That old man who was pushed in his head. Oh, he was pushed. Okay. That's horrific. But like let's let's just be realistic here. There have there have been some horrible acts of violence. There was a Arab kid killed in Michigan. There were these kids shot in Vermont. Those were all um either Palestinian or Arab. Uh the fact of the matter is that we have a horrible history of being chased around the world and people trying to kill us. And I just think in the US is as good as we're gonna have it. So I sort of reject the idea. Why do people hate you guys so much? I mean you've got a great sense of humor. The food's pretty good. Well, not the Ashkenazi food. Um, I, there's just like all these really complicated dynamics. And also like I, the question of like being a Zionist, like Zionism was a crazy idea when it was first raised. So I and Jews, a lot of Jews were like, that's crazy. We're going to go to this patch of underdeveloped land and start a country. Like it's sort of a crazy chain of events that it even worked out. So I don't even know what my stance would have been like in the days of Theodore Herzl. So yeah, I'm torn on the whole thing, but obviously Israel has a right to defend itself and exist. And people calling for Israel to be wiped off the map are A, idiots, and B, they're not helping the Palestinians because like in the present reality, Israel's not going anywhere. And if Israel faced an existential threat, the US would intervene and there'd be a lot of bloodshed that would be mostly concentrated on Muslims, frankly. So that's my, I'm sure, not at all controversial, won't annoy anyone stance on Zionism. Now that I've settled that up, should we proceed to the the corned beef between the rye of this episode? Was that a good Jewish analogy? Sure. All right. So did you hear that university presidents have refused to condemn calls for the genocide of Jews? I did see this on Twitter a lot. Yeah, there's been a lot of outrage this week uh, because of these congressional hearings on the intersection of everyone's favorite two subjects, Israel-Palestine and campus free speech. Specifically, this was the U.S. House Committee on Education and the Workforce and their hearing titled Holding Campus Leaders Accountable and Confronting Anti-Semitism. Now, I have, of course, watched the entire five-hour, 40-minute hearing. Uh, that's the length on the C-SPAN video posted to YouTube. We'll include that link. And what he was doing when he watched this, it's truly disgusting. <laughs> oh, oh, like you're I'm the only person who masturbates to C-SPAN. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Let he who has not skeeted throw. (laughs) Uh, So during this hearing, Representative Elise Stefanik, a Republican representing part of upstate New York, she pushed some college presidents who were there to testify. The key viral moment came here as described by Jewish Insider. 
Uh, she, quote, pressed each leader on whether calls for Jewish genocide, which she said were embodied in intifada chants heard on campuses across the country, violated their school's policies. None of the three presidents offered a direct or affirmative answer. So uh, before we really dive into this, I should just point out that if you're concerned with anti-Semitism, uh, Stefanik is maybe not the champion you're looking for. She has spread this conspiracy theory about the U.S. being flooded with illegal immigrants who will vote Democratic. That conspiracy... It, isn't like inherently anti-Semitic, but it's very, I don't want to use it. I'm not using this term flippantly because like white supremacy adjacent is used dumbly, but there are longstanding anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about Jews flooding countries with like multicultural types. So I just. She's probably more worried about Mexicans. No, that's not the point. The point, the point yeah. is these theories are usually one step removed from like. It's like who is who is uh, doing the machinations behind the scenes to change immigration policy? It's usually the Jew. So I just I don't trust her. I, I think well, anyway, we'll play. We're gonna play the full three minute clip uploaded to her YouTube page because I sort of think you need to hear this. I mean, you can skip forward three minutes if you want, but this is like what everyone was blowing up about. You're gonna hear. Uh, Elise Stefanik talked to, respectively, MIT President Sally Kornbluth, UPenn President Elizabeth McGill, and Harvard President Claudine Gay. Go girls. So you can um, click the link. Go girls. <laughs> yes, queens. Uh, girl power. Dr. Kornbluth, yes. M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated as harassment, if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your testimony that you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? 
targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual? It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Okay, so do you know if there have been actual calls for the genocide of Jews on campus or people saying kill the Jews? Or is she saying that that's what the calls for intifada or chants from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free? Is she saying that those are calls for genocide? Yeah, that's where this gets fuzzy. And I'm not the first person to point out that I think these uh, girl bosses fell into her trap a little bit. So I think she's maybe being intentionally funny. Funny. Fuzzy. (laughs) She's not funny. (laughs) Uh, Stefanik is being intentionally fuzzy. So her argument and the argument of some Jewish and Zionist activists is that calling for intifada is equivalent to calling for the genocide of Jews. I just, I don't buy that. Um, I think in a lot of contexts, like especially in the immediate wake of October 7th, the massacres and the rapes, it's sort of gross to call for intifada in that setting, but there's some real linguistic nuance here. So yeah, technically in Arabic, intifada means like to shake off or get rid of. uh, That's that's where Taylor Swift comes into this. (laughs) Intifada, fada, fada, fada. (laughs) She's trying to expand into certain other uh, markets. Shaken off is actually about the the Zionist occupation. Yeah. there's some linguistic nuance here, especially when you're talking about English speakers and English chants. Um, I'm repeating what some other folks have pointed out, including Shadi Hamid on the fifth column and John Chait. And I think it's it's actually useful evidence that they both agree that it's more nuanced than Intifada being like inherently genocidal or hate speech, given that they often fight with one another. Uh, right. Chait wrote an excellent column we'll link to, and Shadi Hamid had a tweet thread that was also interesting that uh, I'll link to as well. Well, the other thing is that... College students are dumb. I disagree. I think they're the future. I think they know everything about social justice, and I think you're a bigot. So the Wall Street Journal published a column by a Berkeley professor whose name I'm forgetting right now. I'll post a link to it in the show notes. He conducted a survey of 250 students across the U.S., or he didn't conduct it, a polling firm did, of various backgrounds. And he found that less than half of them could name the river and the sea in the chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. <laughs> Less than half. It was just actually more than I That's thought. Awesome. It was like 47%. Yeah. So like for, yeah. the, for the record, it's the Hudson and the Atlantic. Yep. Uh, he also found that once they were informed about what exactly this slogan means, which is wipe Israel off the map, they changed their minds. So never <laughs> underestimate how poorly informed the average student activist or non-student non-activist is people just glom on to whatever whatever everyone else around them is doing because it seems right and kifios look fucking cool and like for the record they do do. i'm also for a free and safe palestine and i will admit that i have been hesitant to say even that because 
this is such a fraught subject. I don't want to be. So you want to murder Jews? Right. So you want to murder all the Jews? Only one. Yeah. Only one. <laughs> so this idea that 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 a bunch of college students understand what intifada means, that they have any nuanced views on on the history or the actual conflict going on here, I think is is wrong. <laughs> like they are, right. It's like their views changed when the following terms were defined for them: war. Israel, <laughs> Arab, sea, river, the. Uh, yes. Sure, everything you're saying is true. But I think like what this episode is mostly about is how we should deal with folks who earnestly chant or say offensive things on college campuses. It yes. almost doesn't matter if they're being dumb. But we can, we can do the strong version of the argument and say, imagine a kid who believes it completely. Imagine a kid calling for genocide. Yes, but the question is, are there any documented cases of this actually happening? Yeah. I do not think there are cases of people chanting, like, kill the Jews. That being said, it's not unusual for actual anti-Semitism to be coded. Um, totally. But again, Shadi Hamid and John Chade, who often fight, I, I think often fight, they, they, to me, the fact that they both agree on intifada being context-dependent. Do I, they I often fight? Are you sure about that? They've, I've seen at least a couple times. Like there was one uh, tweet from Shadi Hamid about like this. This is an incredibly embarrassing article from John Chait, and John Chait wrote about him and called him center right. And Shadi, they've at least had. Some oh yeah, fights. I do yeah. remember that. Yeah, um, I want them to kiss and make up on this podcast, and like actually kiss with Mike, <laughs> like an ASMR type thing. Anyway, as you heard, that was some angry stuff from Re- Representative Stefanik, including. Um, a call for President Gay to resign. The whole thing has led to an interesting mix of of thoughtful and less than thoughtful dialogue, including like some of the stuff I disagreed with. Like I came from people I really like. Caitlin Flanagan wrote, "Quote the three college presidents aver that so long as the protesters are calling for all Jews to be murdered instead of any particular Jew to be murdered, it's all good." I think when we dive into the details, we'll see that that's not really what they were saying. Uh, we will get to that now. All this might end up having some significant consequences for these actual institutions. For one thing, it quickly caused a bunch of powerful people in the orbit of UPenn to call on the president there, Liz McGill, to resign, as the Times reported. Quote, the people raising questions about her leadership included Governor Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania, uh, worth noting he's both a Democrat and a Jew, uh, who said he found her statements, quote, unacceptable. Quote, it should not be hard to condemn genocide, genocide against Jews, genocide against anyone else. And quote, Governor Shapiro said Wednesday in a meeting with reporters, quote, I've said many times leaders have a responsibility to speak and act with moral clarity. And Liz McGill failed to meet that simple test, end quote. Were you sighing? Oh, sorry, I was I was sighing because she wasn't asked to condemn genocide. I am sure she would have condemned genocide. That wasn't the question. Yeah, and and that we're about to get there. That same article also included some backtracking from Gay, Claudine Gay, the Harvard president. "Quote: There are some who have confused a right to free expression with the idea that Harvard will condone calls for violence against Jewish students." Dr. Gay said, "Let me be clear: calls for violence or genocide against the Jewish community or any religious or ethnic group are vile. They have no place at Harvard, and those who threaten our Jewish students will be held to account." End quote. Okay, some people were happy with at least some of the apologies. And again, even people we like and respect disagreed about this. Um, ben Dreyfus was happy with the apology. Others. Ben would be happy if he got, if somebody just like dropped some like mango vape pens in his lap. It doesn't make me think. <laughs> well, but then you could see him suddenly swinging to being really pissed totally. off if he didn't like the flavor. Yes. At the uh, f- folks at the uh, Foundation for Individual, Individual Rights and Expression, including uh, Greg Lukianov, they were more like, no, 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 you were right the first time. What are you doing? Don't clamp down on free speech. So to be honest, even 
the day we're recording this, December 8th, it seems as though events on the ground are likely to outpace us. Since this podcast will be coming out uh, for non-premium subscribers Monday the 11th, there might be more news about the fates of these presidents or even resignations by then. I'm not going to speculate on that. I think we should focus more on trying to unravel the different arguments going on here. But let's do that after housekeeping and for non-premium subscribers, some ads. Katie, have you ever browsed in incognito mode? Are you following me? No, no. Who told you that? Anyway, incognito mode is probably not as incognito as you think. And why would it be? Incognito mode, like the Chrome browser itself, is a Google product. And Google has made its fortune by tracking your movements online. Not me, Katie. Google. There's even a $5 billion class action lawsuit against the company in California where it's accused of secretly collecting user data. Google's defense? Incognito does not mean invisible. So how do you actually make yourself as invisible as possible online and avoid entities like Google and possibly me? You use ExpressVPN, like I do. Turns out that even in incognito mode, your online activity still gets tracked and data brokers still get to buy and sell your data. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. It's terrifying. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. Every time you connect to ExpressVPN, you get a random IP address shared by many other ExpressVPN users. That makes it harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. Katie, how cute would that be if we had the same IP address? Disgusting. Best of all, ExpressVPN is super easy to use no matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV. And I actually used it this summer on a smart TV, no lie. All you have to do... What were you doing? I was in Germany. I wanted to watch Netflix. Mm. Lay off me. Lay off Mm. me. It wasn't any Mm. weird German stuff. It was just normal American Netflix from Germany. All you have Mm -hmm. to do is tap one button for instant protection on phone, laptop, or smart TV. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com slash reported and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash reported. Go to expressvpn.com slash reported to learn more and possibly have the same IP address as me and Katie. We don't have the same IP address. I'd like to think we do. Shopify, the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses, has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS. Does that mean piece of shit? Point of sale, I believe, Katie. Katie, Katie, do you think Shopify is advertising something called Shopify? Piece of shit. Just use use context clues. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Take customers from picking it out to picking it up. Shopify syncs in-store inventory with Google. So when local customers search for that thing that they want that you have, bam, you're there. Demand meets supply, baby. Is it okay to say baby? Does that make me sound cooler? No. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. 
Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, that's POS, Katie, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify, baby. Don't say that. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash barpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash barpod to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash barpod. Baby. Housekeeping. Katie, you do it this time. I'm talking a lot. We are a podcast. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so at blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Reddit uh, at Jesus. I was doing so good. Blockedandreported.reddit.com. Yes, thank you. You can check check out our merch. We've got hoodies. We've got hats. We've got more hoodies. We've got more hats. Bear traps. (laughs) Pigeon spikes. That is at barpodmerch.something. There's a link on our Substack page. But most importantly, if you want to support the show, we want to keep it going, and you want to get extra content, you can join us at blockedandreported.org, become a primo, and for just $5 a month and up, you get three extra podcasts a month. You also get access to our comments section. You get to go to parties like the one that Jesse threw in New York, although I'm not sure why you would want to. And most importantly, it's just the best way to keep (laughs) it's just the best way to keep the show going. Blockedandreported.org. Yeah, uh, this really does keep us going. Uh, Our last episode was about this like really weird radicalization story involving a young woman from Massachusetts. I recommend it. Also, Katie, should we tell them about the contest we don't know yet the exact rules for, but which is definitely happening because we said so? Uh, Yeah, just make it up on the fly. If you give someone a annual... Remember, you can gift subscription. Christmas and Hanukkah are coming up, folks. Hanukkah already started, (laughs) anti-Semite. Jeez. What'd you get me? You'll see. Oh, you'll see. A dreidel. <laughs> a bear? I dropped a bear near your property. Um, what it. we're going to do is this. We'll have more details soon. Basically, if you give someone a year subscription to a friend or better yet, an enemy, and then send us proof of that purchase, don't do it yet. <laughs> this, this is a great idea. Spend money on your enemies. They will hate this show. They will hate this show. Uh, we're going to do some sort of contest, a drawing, where we pick some number of the folks who bought these gift subscriptions for friends, and we'll give them stuff. We haven't figured out what the stuff is yet. I think some of it will be copies of my book. Signed by me. <laughs> signed by me. We're also going to have photos of Katie and Moose signed by Katie. And I guess- I'm not sure about that. Why not? Where am I going to get, like, do you want me to go to, like, a portrait studio? I love how I'm trying to- Do you know how expensive it is to- to- Print. We're going to have uh, photos of Katie and Moose signed by Katie. I think, Katie, it would be cute if you tried to get Moose to sign it by dipping his paw in paint, his little, his little paw. Uh, and we have some other ideas for giveaway ideas, too. But other ideas for giveaway ideas. I want us to print off our portraits from Andrea James's weird website and sign those. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We need to check with, with a lawyer about whether we can do that without her suing us. And here's the thing. What? The artist died. Remember? Well, that's still that we don't know who the rights True. reverted to. I mean, what is what is the law there? Probably us, because we're the, I we're mean, the subjects. Are you... What is the law there? Oh, okay. I'm typing. I found the law on that. I don't know. What's the law for caricatures written by... No. What is the law in terms of printing out someone else's someone else's were IP 
and then not selling it, but just signing it. I, that's got to be fun. Okay. Well, if Katie, if Katie her song Esquire says so, we're going to try to do that. That would I mean, be awesome. Hey, look, I, am I not Jewish, Jesse? Am I not Jewish? Come on. <laughs> this is like there's an episode of Curb where his last lawyer's last name is Berg, <laughs> and he gets very mad when he finds out he's Swedish. Um, <laughs> that is my favorite idea. I think it was your idea, printing out our portraits and signing them. The point is... Get a jump start on this now. Give away a gift subscription. Save your receipt, or I mean, we'll be able to look it up. Uh, don't send it to us yet. We'll have more um, details soon about like how many of each thing we'll give away, how the drawing will work. But we are going to do that contest. We've decided, right? It's now official. I guess so. We said it. It's happening. Katie, be more enthusiastic. I just, I Moose is okay. If <sighs> if you don't get enthusiastic, Moose's little paws can get so tired, and he won't be able to sign eight hundred photographs of him. Seriously, do you want me to go to a portrait studio? Where are we going to get this picture? You have so many. You must have how many photos of Moose do you? probably have a 15,000 yeah you and moose just there's um they're iphone photos they're I know, not but, oh, glossy no, there's totally, high res images i love that we're just fighting about i promise you there are services that can do that at a cheap cost and you can charge it to the bar pod card uh, fine <laughs> he's gonna spend fifteen thousand dollars <laughs> i'm just gonna wallpaper my house with glossy photos of me and moose. all right can we get back to the fucking episode <laughs> let's just do the episode okay so let's try to unravel the different arguments going on here things got pretty confusing and conflated I think it's partly because Stefanik was clearly seeking and received a big viral moment by framing the question the way she did. So first off, I do think some of the initial commentary on this was a bit off base. So Rupa Subramanya, a writer at the Free Press, wrote, Turns out September 1st of this year, Harvard's non-discrimination and anti-bullying policies kicked in. It's clear from the policy that calling out the genocide of a protected group, which in this case would be Jewish students, is prohibited. She said calling out. I think she meant calling for. This is not a First Amendment issue because the Harvard campus is not a public square. Incredible that the president was not more forthright and firm in answering the question, but gave a contorted legalese answer. We will include a link, um, sorry, an image of what she pasted from the Harvard guidelines. But as weird and uncomfortable as it might make us, a lot of legal experts seem to think that calling for a group's genocide does not meet this standard. Even on a private university? I mean, this isn't a First Amendment issue because these schools are all private, right? Yeah. So uh, the private thing does and doesn't matter. So the exchange with Stefanik was largely about their codes of conduct not about constitutional questions per se. Public universities have to hew much more closely to the First Amendment. But you can't really go around violating your codes of conduct without potentially getting in trouble. So this law firm, Kaiser Dillon, which, um, among other things, defends those who have been accused of violating Title IX on college campuses, they have this on their website. Some states have laws that say that a school's code of student conduct is a contract between the student and the school. If the school violates its code, that can give rise to a breach of contract lawsuit. Normally, this would happen when the school gives a student a certain process and then simply ignores that part of its code when it holds the hearing. This happens far more often than you would expect. In fact, we rarely see a case in which the school does everything that it's promised to do, end quote. So uh, there can be legal issues, even at a private university, just having to do with whether they follow their own you know, written policies. Uh, one of the best and most informed takes on all this uh, may have come from the Foundation for Individual Rights of and Expression. Let me just read at some length from the post, which we'll link to. I'm going to do more reading than usual in this episode because these are the experts and neither you or I are um, constitutional scholars. You got kicked out of Harvard Law for hate speech against Jews. That is not why I got kicked out. I got kicked out for hate speech against fatties. (laughs) 
I think this this segment responds to a lot of the sort of ill-grounded uh, anger we were seeing online. So they referenced the moral cowardice of universities being inconsistent and then, quote, but the solution to this moral cowardice is not to expand the use of vague and overbroad harassment codes so that they apply in more cases. Rather, administrators should eliminate these codes and defend free speech in all cases. No hypocrisy. No double standards. So, I mean, they, they obviously make their sort of fiery arguments that speech codes are bad, but th- this part I think is particularly relevant. Quote, the bottom line is that harassment is a pattern of targeted behavior. For example, it's hard to see how the single utterance Stefanik asked about during the hearing, no matter how offensive, would qualify given this pervasiveness requirement. No student may be expelled or otherwise punished for expression that is protected by the First Amendment on a public college campus or by similarly stringent institutional promises on a private college campus. But when students engage in conduct that isn't protected against the First Amendment, for example, by disrupting events, blocking egress in and out of buildings, engaging in violence, or issuing true threats to others, and there's a link to true threats because that has a legal definition, those actions are not protected by the First Amendment. Institutions must take all reasonable measures to protect students from unprotected conduct that stifles free speech or credibly threatens the physical safety of others, end quote. So again, it might make us uncomfortable, but the way the law and these policies are written and understood, simply calling for genocide of a group is in most cases protected speech. Yeah, I mean, I was when I watched these videos, there were, I saw sort of the, the commentary about about this first, and then I watched the videos, and I was like, "What they're saying seems good. Like it should be context dependent. You can't make a blanket statement about something like this without actually knowing the context." And a lot of people rightfully pointed out how hypocritical universities were about this stuff, about specifically about speech. Like all of a sudden they care about free speech now that the Jews are being targeted. And I completely sympathize with that. I get that. I looked up Harvard and Penn, two of the schools that I think there's been a little bit more um, more backlash against. So I looked them up on FIRE's website. FIRE has a database where you can, they basically rank schools. So here's what they say about Harvard. Harvard gets worse scores ever and FIRE's college free speech rankings. Uh, so from 2019 to this year, Harvard sanctioned four scholars, three of whom it fired. That includes a fellow or a, a guy who was going to be a fellow who criticized Israel's actions in Gaza. A fellow who was going to be a fellow? Yeah. Um, his name is Ken Roth. He's the former head of Human Rights Watch. He basically- Oh, he's like a big deal. Big deal. Big deal. He was going to be a fellow. And he tweeted basically that the rise in anti-Semitism, the recent rise in anti-Semitism is due to the Israeli government's conduct. Uh, this seems obviously- true to me. Spikes in anti-Semitism did, in fact, correlate with Israel's bombing campaign in Gaza. They also fired an instructor named David Kane, who kept a synonymous blog where he compared BLM to Identity Europa, and he said that 90% of black um, William... That's a far-right yeah. That's a far right white identity yeah. group. Yeah. And he said in this blog that 90% of black Williams College students were admitted because of their race. In 2020, Harvard also revoked that conservative pro-gun activist Kyle Kashev, um, his acceptance over comments he made when he was a teenager, when he was like 16, racist comments that he made online. He apologized for them. He still revoked his admission. Uh, in 2017, I believe 2017, they revoked the admission of 10 students who participated in like an Ed Lordy meme group. In 2022, they disinvited a feminist scholar from a uh, from a colloquium over trans issues. The Free Beacon got a hold of some training materials for Harvard for their their mandatory Title IX trainings for undergrads. So these are prerequisites. All undergrads must do these trainings before they enroll. 
And it includes scenarios that may constitute harassment, according to, to Harvard's Code of Conduct. Quote, repeatedly using the wrong pronouns is a potential Title IX violation. So they also, they made, Harvard made life miserable for a friend of the pod, Carol Hooven, so much so that she ended up believing she was a really well-liked teacher there, but she's she's said things about <laughs> about biological sex that, that students and, and some people in her department found untenable. That uh, probably 90 to 95% of people agree with. Can I just 99%, break in one? 99%, yeah. Let me just break in the gender identity stuff. Um, but that is an example where if an individual, look, it, it's these universities' decisions, how they want to handle pronouns and stuff. We, we can have our own views. That is an example of the difference between political speech and how you act toward an individual student. So these universities, if their policy is that if you intentionally misgender someone over and over and over, that's harassment, you know, it's sort of like a market thing. You can choose not to go to a university with that policy. That's very different from punishing someone expressing a general view about pronouns or whatever else. I think I totally disagree with you. I mean, I think that misgendering, which is not something that I do, and people get pissed that we don't misgender people on this podcast, but I think you're completely You did wrong. earlier this podcast. That's different. I misgender they thems who, <laughs> who deserve to be misgendered. Uh, all right, no, and people misgender people as a act of political protest all the time. It is not just a, a, a bullying thing. This is not a stance that I take, but I will defend people's right to do it. It is a political, it is a political speech. Okay. Well, that's a legal question. But anyway, my point is, Okay, I shouldn't have gone down this path. Uh, the point is, we're talking about everyone agrees that some acts, if they create a pervasive climate of whatever, it's phrased differently in different guidelines, um, interfere with someone's ability to be educated, and there there is actual harassment caused by speech. But what Stefanik was asking about, like you just you couldn't answer the question honestly, except by saying it depends. Right. That is the correct answer. And so to me, it was actually heartening to see these university presidents that have been so bad on free speech, not just Harvard, Penn also, Penn ranked in the 10 worst colleges for free speech this year. Most of that had to do with Amy Wax. Uh, so to me, I saw these videos and I was like, you go girls. Yes, queens, you're finally mm. getting it. But I think I disagree with that. Why? Well, just from like a, or maybe we don't disagree. From a PR perspective, these are our fancy lady women with I don't know why I keep talking Females. about economists anyway. They're college presidents. They have they have assistants, they have teams. They knew exactly what they were walking into and they were completely unprepared and they I'm sorry, they were right on the merits. They sounded yeah. like idiots. Their job isn't but just to be- But they were right on the merits. But their job isn't, they're representing their universities trying to prevent shame from coming to their universities. So like they're all legally correct in being unwilling to say flat out that you can't call for genocide. Uh, it would be difficult, legally speaking, in some cases, for them to punish a student, you know, quote unquote, just for doing that. But you can sort of understand why Jewish people are responding the way they do, especially given the sort of what seems like a double standard. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think Jewish people are respond. I think some Jewish people are responding the way that they do, but I think a lot of Jewish people aren't, like the Jewish people who work at Fire. Uh, John Chate, is he Jewish? Yeah, I'm saying no. I meant some Jewish people, but look, my only point here is is it's actually not hard to not flub this question, um, especially given that they weren't blindsided. They knew what 
what's coming. I wrote a response in three minutes. Representative Stefanik, our conduct codes attempt to balance free speech, which is an important value to our university, with the safety and well-being of students. Because of this balance, which can be tricky, there might be instances in which truly grotesque statements, statements that I, as the president of the university, denounce unequivocally, fall beyond the scope of our disciplinary procedures. I had what, what we can Okay, punish. blah, 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 blah. Stefanik, whatever her name is, she was she was pressing them that way where she says it, a yes or no question. This is a yes or no question. But th- but you don't have to answer it as yes or no. It's not a yes or no question. I mean, this is a Pope had had a great, um, a great response to it too. It's not a yes or no question. You don't have to answer it a yes or no question because it's not. Wait, so so what do you disagree with that they actually said? I, the, I think from a PR perspective, they performed miserably. Just miserably. Okay, but who cares about the PR perspective? What do you, what do you actually disagree with with what they said? They should have just said, I find that conduct reprehensible completely. It goes against everything I stand for. I'm limited in my ability to punish it because of our rules. Okay, so they did a bad job at the messaging when what they said was way more in line with actual free speech values than what we've heard out of any of the, these universities for years. I just think I'm happy with the message, although I, I don't think they would have said that uh, if the question had been about black or Latino students. I of think. course they would not have. They are hypocrites. I'm happy with overall what they were saying, that they were allowing that there's nuance here because there is nuance. I just think you're, you're understating the extent to which they flubbed something that is not actually that hard to answer. Okay. So do you think that the calls, calls and there have been many calls for them to be fired, but for this, including by friends of the pod, people who, people who generally yeah. say that they're in favor of free speech, who have been talking for years about safetyism on campus and the need for unsafe spaces. And now they're calling for these university presidents to be fired over this. Do you think that's justified? No, because I think that the calls for firing were, were paired with like, like Caitlin Flanagan, who, who's great, you know, she makes it sound like they're basically almost saying they're, they themselves are pro-genocide or the university is when that's not what they were saying at all. So I would say I don't want people to get fired, but I think th- I do think they embarrass their university just by responding in such sort of a, a remo- robotic way. McGill was sort of smirking at one point. Like you just, it's just, I, this might've been as much a failure of their staff to prepare them because this, you shouldn't be, it sort of seemed like, at least Stefanik, this representative, pants them a little bit. And you shouldn't get pants by someone like her if you're well prepared. I mean, I don't think we disagree that much. It's just that the fact that they didn't throw clear enough to me is is a pretty minor sin when the essence of what they said was correct. Now, would they enforce that equally? No, they 100% would not enforce that equally. But, yeah. <laughs> but they, Well, but maybe now that they're on the record saying this, the next time a free speech issue pops off at one of these universities, it'll be harder for them to be dicks about it because they're on record saying even genocide of Jews. So it, it's useful in that regard. So maybe Stefanik did something useful. Also, I just want to quickly thank Will Creeley, the legal director at FIRE. Um, I asked him to look over the statement I read that you wouldn't let me finish. And he said it was good. He said, quote, you can, you can he post said, your- quote, if Katie doesn't let you finish this, you can post it. I will post the, your your fucking three minute paragraph. I will post it in the show notes. If anybody wants to read what Jesse would write if he were a PR flack and not a reporter, you can read it in the show notes. Thank you, Katie. Okay, yeah. So like, people just I think at the end of the day, people don't like because this gets people so emotional because genocide is horrible and because the Holocaust happened, people don't want to hear that it's complicated or it depends. But I really liked uh, this post by Ken White, aka Popat. 
his piece was headlined on his Substack. Stop demanding dumb answers to hard questions. We'll link to it. I think I think White, like you, is too soft on the PR angle, but I guess that makes sense because he's a lawyer and lawyers lack human emotions. Again, much like you. Uh I just want to focus on this one bit that comes after a bunch of other stuff in the piece. He starts by writing in this section. So the university presidents were completely right. Whether calling for the genocide of the Jews or any other group violates a school's policy depends on the context. For instance, Katie, let's just read four of these. It'll take 30 seconds. Switch off. These are the different examples he gives of why, like all the context that matters. I'll start. Going to a campus chapter of Hillel and chanting kill all Jews is probably so severe, objectively offensive, and destructive of students' educational experience that it violates the standard. If four students are talking politics in a dorm room and one, by dramatic convention, a sophomore, says we should just wipe all the Palestinians out and one of the four repeats that to someone else later and that person is horrified, that is almost certainly not severe, pervasive, or contextually destructive of the educational experience enough to qualify. If a professor uses the Israel-Palestinian conflict to discuss whether armed revolution is morally or legally justified and presents the argument that armed revolution by Palestinians is justified, that almost certainly doesn't violate the standard, although some people argue that it inherently calls for the genocide of the Jews. Katie, let's just do one more. If a professor reads out sentiments expressed by different groups in a discussion of the war in Israel, and the sentiment one professor mentions is kill the Jews, that does not qualify. If you think that's a silly example, you're wrong. And he links there to a post. This is a piece in Inside Higher Education called Too Taboo for Class. Professor suspended for using the N-word in class. He was discussing language in a James Baldwin essay. There was another case where, God, I think this one was in Chicago where a professor- Of the Chinese thing? No, this was, that one was, I think, in- California. There were two. Okay, so there was a professor, I think, in a, at a law school, I think, in, or maybe Northwestern, who used an example, used like the term "bitch," but I think it was actually expurgated, like "b-word" in a in a in a in a exam question. Yeah. Do you remember this? Only vaguely. I feel like there have been so many of these. And then yes, there was another professor who apparently in Chinese a word like the equivalent of um or ah sounds a lot like the n-word and a professor i don't remember what the uh what the consequences were but there were some sort of consequences bad. for yeah they're bad yeah so anyway pope Hat provides all these examples which are each of them is a story in itself and he said concludes quote the list goes on and on as complex and diverse as human communication and experience end quote that's what it comes down to the whole thing is an advertisement for my unofficial motto it's complicated it's complicated but if you're a politician seeking a viral moment you don't want it to be complicated you want these uh college presidents to look like idiots and i, I we disagree on that i think they look pretty bad you are forgiving them of them because of your pro genocide stance and because they said the right thing. Finally, they said the thing that, that, <laughs> that we wanted them to say for years. They finally said the thing, but they didn't say it in exactly. They didn't hedge enough. They didn't throw it clear enough. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, they should be sent to Gaza. Right. Um, there were some other good good uh, takes on this, but they mostly are just sort of recycling stuff we've already said. So we'll just drop those in the show notes and maybe wrap it up there unless you had anything else, Katie. I mean, just uh, here's a question for you. As a Jew, as an American Jew... Do you think I'm Jewish? I didn't. Yeah. Huh. I guess so. Check your pants. That could mean multiple different things. <laughs> it could mean Muslim too. <gasps> it is tiny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and part of it's missing uh, for some circumcised reason. Circumcised Cornichon. Um, so, uh, circumcised what? Do you, Cornichon. Cornichon? That's a tiny pickle. I figured you would know that in I the Jewish cuisine. Um, as an American Jew, 
do you think, like I see Batya Ungar Sargon, she keeps tweeting about the safetyism that she's seeing among, and she is a, she's a Zionist, right? To say the least, yeah. Yeah. She keeps tweeting about this safetyism that she sees, and she thinks that Jews are basically being precious because Jews aren't actually in physical danger. And she's basically saying, like, what you're in danger of is being unpopular on campus, and that's actually a good thing because the people who are who are chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, are fucking morons, as evidenced by the fact that they don't know what river and what sea they're talking about. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, does that resonate with you at all? Or do you think that Jews are right to feel traumatized by or justified to feel traumatized by chants like that? Oh, uh, I don't think you should be traumatized by dumb college chants. I, you know, to me, some of the responses, especially immediately after, really tipped over into like, I, I, we've talked about this already. I can't believe that you would not denounce the, the massacre. It immediately became more complicated because of the bombing. And I think there's very legitimate, fair reasons to critique Israel's approach because thousands of women and children have died. I think the U.S. in 2023 is the best Jews will ever have it, which is far from perfect. Uh, I don't think we're in real danger in the U.S. right now. There's parts of Europe where I think the situation is much worse. Um no, I understand people have a... Barry might be in danger. Yeah, that's true. Did you see she was trending last night? Oh, Barry. Uh, yeah, I saw a little bit of that video. The video? What was the video? Oh, I just saw a video of like people, students yelling and then walking out of a talk she gave. I thought that's what the tre- why she was trending. No, she was trending because there's a writer, a Palestinian writer named uh, Rafit. Oh, this whole thing. Sorry. Yeah, tell people. So this was a guy who on October 29th, he quote tweeted... A guy who said, a baby was found in an oven baked to death by Hamas terrorists. And this guy, Rafat, he retweeted that and he said, with or without baking powder. So Barry retweeted him. She quote tweeted him and she said, here is Rafit Alarir joking about whether or not an Israeli baby burned alive in an oven was cooked with or without baking powder. He said, after she did this, he said, if I get killed by Israeli bombs or my family is harmed, I blame Barry Weiss and and her likes. And then he... Um, he posted a screenshot of his DMs and it's a bunch of people basically making horrible threats against him. And he was killed by Israeli bombs uh, just yesterday or in the last couple of days. Jesus. And so people are blaming Barry for this. I don't think I knew though. I didn't know the full backstory. Yeah. I think it's horrific that a journalist was killed. I'm not sure he was a journalist, but yeah, he was a writer. Saying it's also sort of ridiculous to say I blame Barry Weiss and her ilk for this because Barry Weiss did not. He said, I blame Barry Weiss and her likes. Uh, her like? Ilk? Maybe him I don't and know. Ilk. That's horrific. Yeah, the main know. thing here is the dude is dead and then, of course, it becomes a big online. And the other thing about this, and I don't want this to sound like I'm defending his tweet because his tweet was incredibly callous and fucked up. He was saying it didn't happen. He was saying that they weren't put in ovens, that this was an Israeli lie. Yeah. And I think he, I think yeah. I, I looked at some of his other tweets, and he absolutely did deny Hamas atrocities. He one hundred percent did. He also apparently lost thirty members of his family in Israeli airstrikes. Jesus fucking Christ! And now he's dead. And now he's dead. I also, I think maybe the, the um, ha, I didn't read it. Haaretz had an article about how uh, the atrocities are well documented. Some of them are false rumors. I think the baby in the oven might have been one of the false ones. It yeah. almost. You know, I was going to say it almost doesn't matter, but it does matter because the truth is always important, especially when people are freaking out. But um, it does matter. Yeah, it matters a great deal. It does matter. Um, but and there has been a lot of denial of things like that rape. did happen. Brianna Joy Gray seems to be like all of a sudden, <laughs> like all of a sudden she doesn't. Who was the Joe Biden accuser? She someone was. Re- she she believed she believed uh, Tara. What's her face? The 
the Putin, Re- the Putin uh, stan who was it uh, Reed? accused Joe Biden of rape. Yeah, Tara Reid. Oh, Tara Reid, an actress. I don't both. Tara Reed, yeah, yeah. All uh, bad. All bad. No, Tara Reid is an actress and model. I knew that. American Pie two and American Pie. <laughs> um, I'm not going to make. I just, I just. It's just sort of speaks to the pathology of the online right. world that this became about Barry when this guy and dozens of his family members mm-hmm. have suffered horrific tragedy. So. Uh, on that cheerful note no we're done <laughs> <laughs> this has been Blocked Reported as always we're produced with help from Tracy Woodgrains and Jessica the 80s baby I'm Jesse Single and remember I'm officially being forced to end my dialysis treatment since I'm no longer a NaNoWriMo mod and I'm Katie Herzog and also remember Jesse you're going to feel really bad about that when we find out that Claudia died next week We are back. I, I, <laughs> We're back. I went right back to the. We went. I went. I locked myself back in the crate I stay in between episodes, and then you <laughs> summoned me back to my microphone. Is it lined with newspaper? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a bathroom. It's New York. It's expensive. But what happened? Tell me the news. So yes, we're back with an update. Uh, we recorded the episode that you just listened to on Friday, and then on Saturday, Penn President Liz McGill resigned, as did the chairman of the board of trustees. His name is Scott L. Bach. And by the time you hear this, it would not surprise me if Harvard President Claudine Gay has stepped down as well. Although nobody seems to be talking about MIT. They're just nerds. They don't follow the news. Okay, so Jesse, tell me if I have this right. This was a successful pressure campaign by alums, activists, wealthy donors, and the internet to punish university presidents for not cracking down on their perceived enemies' speech. And this was largely based on a three-minute video clip that went viral on Twitter. Do you think that's a fair way to sum up what just happened? I think this is going to go back to our main disagreement. I I still think that they just did not perform well and tripped over their own I was going to say tripped over their own dicks but these are women so I don't know what the equivalent is um Some women have dicks. They tripped over their labia. Um I I, I look I don't know. I, I I people are being very disingenuous here. A lot of free speech defenders are suddenly not being free speech defenders. I just thought it created an embarrassing moment for them. Uh the way it also just like universities are incredibly corrupt and they're cowardly and we know that. So uh I do think this is sort of like outrage over nothing in a sense because they were right but i also think they embarrassed the university by being pretty ill-prepared to for a question they knew they were going to get apparently they all three had the same consulting like law firm that gave them i think incredibly bad famous one yes it's just it's just joe joe's bubba's consulting llc I'm pretty taken aback by the number of people I've seen on Twitter who who I think would call themselves free speech advocates celebrating this. I mean, to me, this is very, very clearly a loss for for free speech on campus. And changes are already being proposed in light on, in light of this. The board at Wharton proposed an array of resolutions that would expand the ability to punish students and faculty for speech. One of their resolutions is that students will not engage in, quote, hate speech, whether veiled or explicit, that incites violence. 
So does that mean that... Veiled? Right. So does that mean that anyone who chants or who says from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free or globalized into Fada should be punished? Or And like maybe you're fine with that. I think a lot of people listening to this probably are fine with that. Maybe that just crosses a line for you. No, we have we have we have principled free speech bros and bras listening to us. I hope they're not fine with that. If that's a punishable phrase, what about kill Hamas or punch Nazis? Like this is why vague up to up to interpretation speech codes are bad, especially around what is called hate speech. You might be fine with the leopard eating some other asshole's face, but face eating leopards are not super discerning and they will pivot. Yeah, I, we just need I mean, fire has been good. Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression has been good on this. They've been consistent. They're like, no, the, the solution here is to just be consistent in right. how you apply it. And these uh, these presidents are obviously not consistent in how they apply it. We talked about the hypocrisy on the episode. I'm just, I'm even more mystified yeah. than the free speech stuff by seeing people who want to abolish DEI celebrating this. And I want someone to explain to me how this works. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. bizarre. It's like exactly the thing. Yes. That's exactly the thing you're against, which is like vague, veiled. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm completely open to arguments for dismantling the DEI industrial complex. This is starting to happen in red states. But my instinct about this particular case is that this will have the opposite effect and will result in more trainings, more bureaucracy, more rules about what people can and can't say. Like, what is the thinking here? Harvard and Penn and MIT and all the Ivies are going to abolish the DEI apparatus because they are so anti-Semitic that they'd rather do away with the whole thing that include Jews. I just I don't think that's what's going to happen. Way more likely they'll just expand the bureaucracy, hire some Jewish diversity coordinators, maybe give Jews their own affinity groups, maybe give them their own room, add a star of David to the pride flag. They're not going to this is not going to result in DEI going away. I I think Jewish students should have to wear a yellow star on their arm to indicate that they require special mm. sensitivity. That's that would be my solution if I were a uh, Maybe you could maybe you could number them too. <laughs> no, it like it's uh, look the whole thing is a circus. The, like I said the only thing we disagree on is like I I do think the presidents were ill prepared, but like this is not we can only say it so many times. People are completely inconsistent about this shit. They don't have anything remotely approaching principles, and and we try to have principles on this podcast about it because we're the only we're the only good guys in the Israeli Gaza conflict. Really, <laughs> I just I honestly think that a lot of the celebrating that celebrating that I'm seeing on Twitter is just tribalism and common enemy politics. Like these woke college presidents are finally getting what's coming to them. And yes, they are hypocrites. That is abundantly clear. But we've spent the last three or four years criticizing public pressure campaigns to fire people over speech, especially when they're based on viral video clips. This is partly what the Harper's Letter was about. And I think it would be incredibly short-sighted to celebrate what is happening in these schools. And as hypocritical as these university presidents are, well, there's a lot of that going on elsewhere. Jesse, I'm going to send you a link to an op-ed in the Washington Post. I just saw this because Jeffrey Sachs tweeted it. Please read this headline and then read the little bio under the headline, under the byline. To fight anti-Semitism on campuses, we must restrict speech. Claro Finkelstein is a member of the school's open expression committee and <laughs> chair of the law school's committee on academic freedom. Yes. Seems photoshopped. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it? To fight anti-Semitism on campuses, we must restrict speech. Okay, mm-hmm. Claire. Yeah. So okay. so well, if hypocrisy is a fireable offense. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> um, my favorite take yeah. on this came from Charles Murray. He tweeted, 
I've got a sure Charles way. Murray. Yeah, you should listen. be fired for. Yeah. yeah, I've got a surefire way for the presidents of Harvard and MIT to prove they're not hypocritical about their newfound allegiance to free speech. Invite me to give a lecture on race and sex differences using material from human diversity. I'm happy to do them pro bono, albeit with adequate police protection. I mean, it, eh, he isn't. He isn't. It's more if a student group invited right. him, would he be allowed right. to? Yeah. Right. Would yeah. he be able to speak on campus? I mean, it's a little bit silly to tell to tell Harvard. To, I get what he's saying, but to be like Harvard has to should invite me. But yeah, no, it's all it is. It is bullshit. I agree. Maybe if they're feeling really generous, they could also invite Carol Hooven back, give her a teaching position. Yeah, these people Poor are Carol. hypocrites, but but these are giant. These are giant corporations. Like I don't care what tax exempt status they have, or like what like it, they're 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 cowardly corporations doing what cowardly corporations do. Listening to people on Twitter. Mm-hmm. All right, Jesse. Anything else? Can I go back? I'm going to go back to my crate and curl back up into a ball and sleep until the next episode. I like to think of it as a cage, not a crate. But go for it. Podcasting is a cage. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>